some Bible teacher in the building this morning. Pastor Joshua Fulton and his wife Cynthia are like family to Michelle and I. He's an incredible Bible teacher. You are in for a treat this morning. You chose the right Sunday to come to church. Impact, please stand on your feet. Please put your hands together and help me celebrate and welcome the ministry of Pastor Joshua Fulton here at Impact Church. God bless you. Before we're seated, let's give a hand clap for Jesus because he is the one, the one and only. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. I want to begin by giving honor to Pastor Zenzo and to Pastor Michelle. They are truly a blessing uh, to my life, not only in, in the immediate fellowship that we share, but in the observation of who they are as a man and a woman, as a father and a mother, and as a pastoral team here in the Medford area, in the greater Boston area. And so we pay honor to them. I also uh, would be remiss not to acknowledge that my team is here with me this morning. My wife, Cynthia, my daughter, Rebecca, without them... I feel alone, and so I'm, I'm glad. I, I could be in this group of people and feel alone, but because they're here, I really, I really sense their presence. I, I don't know if you know how disciplined your pastor is. To, to formulate a word that executes in 30 minutes takes a lot of discipline. I was raised in a school, if you didn't preach two hours, you hadn't preached. And so today, if I seem accelerated, please forgive me. I'm trying to get a lot of stuff into a short space. Amen? And so today, I want to sp speak to you out of the scripture in Psalm 120. If you can begin to uh, turn there, I'll uh, uh, do some, some footwork before we get there. And then when I get to Psalm 120, we can hit the ground running, okay? Pray that my technology works today. Um, I don't know if any of you ever encounter techno demons, but they follow me everywhere. All right. So, as a little bit of history for you, in the Old Testament and, and, and in the book of Psalms, there are 15 Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And they make up a really beautiful portion of the Bible. And these psalms were to be sung when the children of Israel came to Jerusalem and they ascended to the top of Mount Zion. And this happened three times a year when they came for the festivals. The physical ascent of the Israelites is a type or a picture of the spiritual ascent of the Christian believers through their growth and life experience. And so, just for your information, Psalms 120 through 122 are the first stage or the stage of vision. The second stage, 123 through 125, focuses on our consecration. And so, out of vision becomes a consecration unto God. The third stage, 126 to 128, is the stage of enjoyment. After being consecrated into God, it leads to a rich enjoyment 
of who God really is and the economies that he really brings to our life. The fourth stage, which is 129 through 131, we'll call the stage of enlargement. Our enjoyment of the Lord eventually causes us to become an enlarged person. Has anybody experienced that today in the house, that your, your enjoyment of being a Christian has made you a bigger person? Amen. Then from our experience of enlargement, we enter the final stage or the stage of maturity. And those are the Psalms 130 through one, 132 through 134. So today, I want to look on Psalm 120 and I want to stress the importance of clear vision. I want to predicate that by saying that I think that in today's day and age, many are confused about Jesus because they see us as Christians trying to operate in a model of Christianity and a model of the world. And so in order to really understand lifting our eyes to Him, we have to have a clear understanding of what the world is and what the world offers. Psalm 21 begins to do this, and so I want to I kind of go through uh, 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 the context of it based on this thing is, is that we're responsible for the generations. Um, I was watching a show not too long ago. Uh, uh, what is that thing? It's um, Undercover Boss. And Undercover Boss had the guy that's the head of the Mohegan tribes down in Connecticut. His name was... Two, do two Dogs Bussum. I don't know why they called him Two Dogs, but Two Dogs Bussum. And, and he said an interesting thing. He said that when the tribal elders came together, they tried to make decisions for the future based on 25 generations. Now, many people's minds will say, well, that's 25 generations ahead. I personally believe that he, he really balanced it and meant that you had to observe the 12 generations that preceded you. What were the decisions they made and what shaped those decisions and how those things affected the day that we're in? And based on that reflection, how do we begin to make decisions that 12 generations out will still have a life and a power and a truth to them that are not suspended in the day that we live, but are suspended on an eternal truce. And so I believe that we have that same responsibility as Christians today. And in this, we need to understand what the world is and, and again, what it offers. Psalm 120 shows us this picture of the world. It's short, but it's very precise. It begins... In my distress, I called out to Jehovah, and he answered me. O Jehovah, deliver my soul from lying lips and from a tongue of deceit. That's verses 1 and 2. What's most striking about the world? What is, what, is, what is the world's economy even in the day that we're living in? We can see that, that in this day and age there are lying lips and that there is deceit all over the place. Amen? I don't have to bring up the phrase fake news. <laughs> fake news is coming from all sides. It's coming from the far left and from the far right. Somewhere in the middle lies what the truth for us is. Amen? 
But what is smoking is, is, that, is that the world is full of distress. How many know that Jesus said that problems are never going away? Distress is always going to be around us and among us. The world has a way of amplifying that distress. It has a way of capitalizing on that distress. It has a way of pushing us around according to distress to make decisions that allow them to prosper and not necessarily us to prosper. And so we have to see clearly that the world is organized in a way to serve itself and not serve the masses as we're kind of being informed. The world is full of lies and deceit. And so we have to know that a lying lips and a deceitful tongue, lying lips, understand this, if you're going to write anything, begin to measure yourself on this, lying lips are for defending yourself. Think about it. When we get into a place where we need to defend ourselves, how many of us will admit that we're often tempted to put our finger on the scale? Scripture says that God hates an unjust weight, meaning that let the weights balance themselves, good or bad. Let the truth establish itself, good or bad. But when we put our finger on the scale, we actually put ourselves in the position to lie, to defend ourselves. And over the years, we've created cute phrases that, that, that excuse lies. Now they're white lies, or they're just little lies, or they're these, we have all kinds of descriptions for them. And then deceitful lips is for gaining something for yourself. How many of us have ever altered the truth just enough to get that thing that we wanted? Amen. I've been waiting in line 30 minutes and you ain't been there but 10. Come on now. Just showing you a picture. <laughs> the, the bigger picture is, is that the world is filled with deceitfulness. And the world is full of lies. And from the beginning, the psalmist portrays it, and he says this way. He says, the world's true nature is sinfulness, it's distress, and it is a, 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 a propensity or a, a, a system that creates lies. And instead, he says this. He, he exposes it. He doesn't merely say that the world is evil and sinful, which it is. But once a person abides in lies and falsehoods, all kinds of evil things can take place. And so the manifestation comes out of it is when we begin to adopt those positions. We have to understand that foundationally as a more mature group in the church because the gate into salvation has to be accurately represented. I don't want to invite somebody into a Christianity that has a bunch of mental models that are attached to it that aren't true to the word because I'm inviting somebody into a place to experience a Christianity that will fail them. And then they're going to have the argument with God that says, you say you never fail, why are you failing? 
And so we have to, we have to have a clear vision of what the world is. Once, uh, once a person abides in that, all kinds of things come in. And this is why the beginning of this psalm says that, Oh, Jehovah, deliver my soul. What does he need to be delivered from? Not only the world, but from himself. Each one of us have an economy, have a, a system of excusing ourselves for things that we wouldn't excuse others for. Come on now. Is it true? Right? If I was to cuss right now, which I won't, y'all would judge me. And then you would judge Pastor Zenzo and say that that beginning tape was a, uh, was a hoax. But if you cuss on the way home because somebody cut you off, you justified because that person got you. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so he realizes that he is in a world and that he can end up, we are in a world and we can end up with lying lips. We have to understand that those lies kill and burn continually. So here's, the, here's where he goes. He says, he says, what should be given to you and what further shall be done to you, O tongue of deceit? And so not only is every tongue a false and deceitful tongue, in this world not one person can face reality. We know that the politicians lie, but even the preachers lie. Come on now. Non-Christians lie, but Christians may lie too. Come on now. Eventually, what do we get? Eventually. What is the shelf life? What is the end product of lies? Psalmist tells us in, in verse 4, he says, The sharp arrows of a mighty man and the burning coals of the broom tree. The indication is, is that all those who love the world and those who abide in the lies of the world will be killed by the world's deceit. This is all that the world can give us. This is all that the system of the world can provide for us is death. You may think you're living a good life. You may think you're living a productive life. You may think that you may be living a successful life, but the lies and the, and, the, and, the, and the adjustments that we make in our conversation ultimately have an end. So it says, the psalmist goes on to tell us the sharp arrows of a mighty man with the burning coals of the broom tree. Both of these are pictures. The indications that are those who love the world, who abide in its lives of the world, will be killed by the world's deceit. This is all the world can give us. The next item is even worse. Burning coals of the broom tree. Broom tree is, is very rich in the context of, context of its imagery because the broom tree is a tree that when set on fire doesn't extinguish in, in, uh, uh, easily. How many have ever told a lie many years ago and it still lives? Amen. 
How many have ever said something that you wished you never said because 5, 10, 15 years later, that thing is still burning. It's still influencing your life. It still has an effect on who you are as a person. And, and so the scriptures are true that, that deceitful lips and lying lips have a long-lasting effect. How many here have had a problem with your faith because of the lies that you've seen the church tell? How many here have been deeply affected by the structure or the government of the church and the things that they've allowed to happen and the lies that they've told and you've wondered, how is it that God is in this? Come on. We live in a city that has been shaken by controversy. We've been shaken by the failure of man. And we, and we know that man will fail us. But oftentimes the structure or the way that we think about God is affected by the lies that have been told to us. And so we have to understand as mature believers that we have to allow the gates of our mouths to be pure water, to be, I'd rather not tell a lie, I'd rather stay silent rather than put my finger on the scale and try to make you believe something. I'd rather tell you the truth and hurt you than to kiss you and have you happy with me. Proverbs says it's better the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. You can find people that will pump you up and gash you up, but the people that will tell you the truth are the gateways to another level of maturity and another level of understanding. And we really have to position ourselves to be able to have those conversations as we seek to be mature in the scriptures and speak that truth in love. And so um, all kinds of lies are going on in the world. Not only do those lies kill us, but they continue. They burn like coals. They can't be extinguished. So the world, and I'm going to be disruptive here. Please uh, don't stone me. This is the psalmist. <laughs> the world of prosperity is outside of God's purpose. The psalmist continues. He says, woe is me for I sojourn in Meshech. I dwell among the tents of Keter. And so when we're in the world, we realize, woe is me. Meshech was a descendant of Japheth. This is history for you. In the Bible, there are three lines from the son of Noah. The line of Japheth, the line of Ham, and the line of Shem. In the book of Genesis, Noah blessed his son Japheth by saying that God would enlarge him. It means that Japheth's line would have the ability to conquer and become prevailing. But the line of Japheth has nothing to do with God himself. God's will is not accomplished through the line of Japheth. Instead, his will was accomplished through the line of Shem. In the world, there is prosperity. In the world, there is a kind of conquering. And in the world, there are many things that are enjoyable. Yet these things are related to Meshech. They are not in the line of Shem. In the verses, the psalmist is saying, I travel and sojourn in this world. The world is prevailing and powerful. But in this world, I am outside of the good land that God has for me. 
Does it remind you of the people of Israel when they said, why not take us back to Egypt, which was a land of hospitality, which was a land of of prosperity. And didn't they say that the things we ate there far outweigh what you've got us doing now? How many have ever come to Christ and wondered, why is everything going wrong in my life? Why are all the structures of what I had being removed? Because God takes us into a place where we're satisfied with Him and not satisfied with the tents of Meshech. We have to see that the things of this world, and we have to be able to convey this. Understand I'm speaking about vision. Vision is a long-term thing. It's a thing that establishes a reason and a hope and attention that says, I want to go for that. Many of you may be students, and a degree is at the far end of your, of your vision, and you can put up with professors, and you can put up with classmates, and you can put up with sitting up and burning the midnight oil in order to gather that information and disseminate it and present it in a way to pass. But it's all worth it to get to the place where you're at. Isn't it worth it? Isn't the things that we go through worth it to get to the place in Christ where we're comfortable with what we have and not always wanting something more? The second aspect of, the, of is the tense of Keter. I want you to know that religion is far away from God. Keter was a descendant of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. Because Keter was a descendant of Abraham... He was somewhat related to God, but he was in the wrong line. So there's a part of the world that's related to God and even came out from God to a certain degree, yet it is not what God really wants. This part of the world which is related to God is eventually against God. Who today in the physical world is against God the most? Oftentimes, if you follow the historical lineage, it is those that have come out from the line of Ishmael. Amen. The tents of Keter also indicates a wandering tribe. Those who are in this tribe are never settled. They have no purpose or goal. They have God as their creator, and they even call him their God. Yet at the same time, they never know how to be one with God how to satisfy God, how to stand with God, how to fulfill God's purpose, or how to produce God's habitation. They are related to God in a certain way, but they are far from Him. Eventually, they may even frustrate or oppose God's purpose. Spiritually speaking, this is the world of religion. Religion tries to contain information in such a way that we become ordered. Amen? That we become structured so that you can see me and understand that my behavior fits in with the mental model or the structure that you've created for me. And if I don't fit into that model, then what happens is, is that you think that I'm outside of what your religion says I should be. That's the exact structure that Jesus Christ came to disrupt because the religious community had created a stifling environment where it was no longer fun to even like God. There was no enjoyment in it. There was only burden. 
Religion seeks to do that. Relationship seeks to expand. Who are you and how can I best position you to be the most of who you are based on the design that God placed in you? Amen. I'm saying all of this to say that when, when we're for God, he goes on to say that when we're for God, the world will rise up for war. How many of us have been pushed back because of our faith? How many of us have been criticized because of our faith? Lift up the name of Jesus in any context in this world as it is now and the structures of the way that they think. And there's pushback because Jesus has become an offensive name because some of our representatives haven't represented who we are well. They've represented it more according to rigidness than flexibility. How many know? Think back to the day that you were saved. How flexible was Jesus to accept you? Come on now. <laughs> to, to accept me, he had to make a lot of concession. <laughs> to even have the conversation. <laughs> and according to the religious structures, I didn't have any business being in his face. <laughs> but according to his love, according to his dynamic, there was plenty of space to have that conversation. I'm struggling, guys. That clock is in my head. So when we desire to go after God, then the world is for war. If we are not for God, if we are just in the world speaking lies and deceiving each other, then nobody cares. These are the battlegrounds we face in order that those behind us dwell in peace. We must teach and live in such a way as to testify to God's willingness and ability to be our fortress and our strong tower. And that those who attack him will not prevail. In order to establish that clear path, we have to have a clear vision of this world that is foundational to the next phase of the vision. Remember what I told you, that the first Psalms were, were visionary. If, you, if we go to Psalm 121, it says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. But understand that that confession could not be made until there was a correct assessment about what the world really is. My challenge to you this morning is, have you correctly discerned what the world is really about? Where does your line connect more with a worldly system than God's system? I'm not here to judge you. You're here to judge yourself. The word says that we look into it and it's a mirror. And that mirror shows us clearly who we are. There are things that the world still influences me through. There are things that I'm fighting to get small in the world and big in Jesus. The world is very attractive. The world is very compelling. 
The world has ways of getting into our ambitions and into our, the structure of what we think is successful, and it's not necessarily so. The best lie that you can ever tell is 99.9% .9 truth. That 0.1% still makes it a lie. No matter how you cut it, it's still a lie because you've placed your finger, you've placed your ambition, you've placed your affection on something that is contaminant to the overall picture. And so in order to lead somebody to the place that they say they want this Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, before we can say, I look to the hills from where my help comes from, I have to establish what the world is, what its operating system is, and then I have to prepare myself not to be jittery when those viruses get into my system. Because many of us have that stuff, and that's why we're jittery Christians. We got viruses in us. We got the greed virus. We got the want virus. We got the lust virus. And so you're talking to each other and you're like, it's like, why that person all jittery? What's wrong with them? It's because we have two things working at the same time. I speak this into this service. Because this service is foundational to where Pastor Zenzo and Pastor Michelle are going. This is the foundational service that wakes up early and comes early, that comes to digest the Word of God and apply their shoulders to the advancement of the kingdom through this vehicle called Impact. But in order for those gates to be pure, then we have to have an accurate representation of what the world is, what the world is not, and who we are. So I lift up my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from Jehovah who made heaven and earth. So we received a vision from the previous psalm that the world is a constitution of lies and vanity. Once we see through the world, we have no other choice but to come to God. In Psalm 21, 21, we come to the very God who is the maker of heaven and earth. Leaving the world behind, we begin our spiritual ascent up Mount Zion. This is a powerful teaching that takes all kinds of days, but I would encourage you to go to those Psalms, 120 through 134. Go to those 15 Psalms and begin to ask God to download in your heart that ascent because His desire is, is that we all become mature. Amen? And so I've spent a lot of time this morning unpacking the initial vision of clearly seeing what the world is. And at the basis of me, I'm a, I'm a teacher, but at, at the heart of me, I'm a pastor. I love to delight myself in the Word, but the Word means nothing if there isn't a tender heart that has received it. There are many that sit in academia that can outthink me, but they can't outfaith me. <laughs> they know what they're talking about, but many of them don't believe it. And so this morning, I don't want to take time and just go by teaching. I want to make an opportunity. Many of you may be 
in the land of Keter or in the land of Mekish. Perhaps the world has overshadowed your faith in God. Perhaps the world has more control over you than you want. Then today you should stand and make a declaration that I'm free. Scripture says in Galatians that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom. If there's a measure of incarceration in it, then it's not free. Then there are those that may be here today that have never, ever truly made Jesus the Lord of your life. And so as we transition into this season in the ministry, I would like to make that invitation to you, if that's you, that you've not made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And so if that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand and that you leave your hand raised where you are. We have those amongst us that want to serve you. They have a gift that they want to place in your hand. There's also a space on the card that you were given coming through the door that says that I made a first time or a second time or a 500th time confession of Christ. And we as a church want to reach out to you and we want to share our love and Christ's love with you and invite you into a relationship with not only this house, but with the creator and maker of the entire universe. And so would everybody here just indulge me in this confession? Repeat after me, Father, I love you. I believe that your word is eternal. It's from everlasting to everlasting. And it'll never be removed. So today, standing on your word, that if salvation is available to me, and as an act of my will, I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again with all power in his hands. I believe that his promise of eternal life is mine. So today, I surrender my will and adopt his will in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that for the very first time or for multiple times, be assured you are saved. Connect yourself to a living, breathing, Bible-studying body like this one. And I'll guarantee you that what is coming in your life is far better than anything that you have ever seen. God bless you. Thank you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Josh.
Well, Impact, thank you for joining us this week. We want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Um, when you go outside, we actually have some really awesome goodies out there. Our hospitality team baked and cooked for us. So um, if you go right out these doors, there will be directions to kind of shift you to the soup and the desserts. Thank you for being with us this week. Have an awesome Thanksgiving with your family. See you next week. We don't care no more.